views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. There is not a lot that this Congress, which for the record is the 118th Congress of the U.S., there's not a lot that this Congress seems to agree on. Not even a full month in, we've already had agita over the debt ceiling, and let's not even relive the 15 ballots it took to elect a Speaker of the House. But there is at least one issue that it seems pretty much everyone in D.C. can get behind these days, and that's that Americans need more ways to save for retirement. 2019 brought us the first SECURE Act. SECURE, by the way, is an acronym that stands for the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act. It made the first big changes to the U.S. retirement system in more than a decade, and among other things, it made it easier for small businesses to set up retirement plans, gave part-time workers access to employer-sponsored plans, pushed back the age at which retirees needed to take required minimum distributions from 70 and a half to 72. And boy, were all the accountants in the land happy to see that confusing half year disappear. It also allowed traditional IRA owners to keep making contributions to their accounts indefinitely and gave 401k plans the ability to offer annuities. But clearly the regulators did not think they had gone far enough, and with pretty good reason. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, not even 60% of adult workers participate in a workplace retirement plan, and even those who do are not socking away enough. So we've got a new law. These are just some of the reasons that Congress, three years after the original SECURE Act, put another law. It's called SECURE 2.0 on the books. It's a $1.7 trillion bill that will likely positively and importantly, impact your financial future. I'm Jean Chatsky, and today on Everyday Wealth, we are going to break down exactly what it means to you. And I'm going to do that with Andy Smith, a wealth planner from Edelman Financial Engines. Later in the show, Wei Hu, who is a familiar guest to all of you, will be here as well to dig into some of the details. But Andy, let me say hi. It's nice to see you. Gene, good to see you. So what do you make of Secure 2.0? 
Uh, the big thing that we're talking about and, and trying to start working with clients about is the whole piece on required minimum distributions. Um, it's the, the age at which you have had to start taking these um, kind of mandatory withdrawals um, from, you know, per the IRS guidelines, used to be 70 and a half. Then it changed to 72. Well, the big news with the Secure 2.0 Act is that they are changing these age gates. So the first age gate is now 73. It'll eventually move up all the way to 75 here in a couple of years. But what we're talking about with clients is trying to help them get a sense of when they need to start taking these these required distributions from the accounts. And it's important because this, you know, the IRS doesn't care what you do with the with the money. Mm-hmm. The IRS just cares that you take the money out because it's this is ordinary income now. This is a taxable event. So right. from a planning perspective, what we're trying to do is get a sense of, hey, when do you need to start taking the distributions, how to plan for that from a tax perspective? And hey, just because you can wait until age 73, sometimes it doesn't make sense and you need to start and probably should start a little bit sooner. So when you take the money, it's a taxable event for the IRS. It it basically means that you're at the mercy of market conditions at that time frame, right? You can't just move a stock out of your IRA and keep it. You got to actually sell that investment and pull out the cash. That's correct. So in some instances, what we actually do is kind of batch or or hold a certain amount of money in client accounts for a period of time, kind of, you know, prepping for their own retirement paycheck. And so you're not necessarily at the mercy of the market selling at a particular point, um, just like you're not always at the mercy of the market buying at a particular point. But if you have this kind of a pool of dollars to draw from, then it's just a matter of when you want to time that throughout the year. But again, just because you can wait until 73, sometimes it doesn't make sense. And so when we're talking with people, you know, we build these cash flow plans. We're trying to get a sense of what to pull from taxable accounts first, then your pre-tax IRAs and 401ks, and then trying to leave the Roth stuff for as long as possible. But that's kind of the big piece that clients have started to wrap their brains around here with the Secure 2.0 Act. Clients and wealth planners alike, I'm sure. Yeah. Let's let's dig into just a couple of the nuances here. Not taking these RMDs gets really expensive. It does. And so the, you know, Congress has kind of made this a little bit better. Used to be the penalty was, you know, 50% of the amount that you should have taken out. Now they've dropped that to 25%. They've also dropped it to 10% if there's this kind of timely, you know, acknowledgement and fix of the issue that's there. So in the in Congress's eyes, it appears as though that they are kind of drawing a distinction between willful abandonment of the law and just, you know, a goof um, for that. Doesn't make it any nicer or easier to pay the penalty, um, but at least they have started to kind of differentiate the reasons for the errors. Because these RMDs are income, they have a direct impact on how much you pay for Medicare, right? Your Medicare premium. Can you talk through that? Um, it, you know, there's, there's different thresholds above which if you uh, earn, you know, specific amounts of money, you're basically charged more for the health care that's there. So when we talk about cash flow planning for clients, we're trying to get a sense of how much they need how much is okay to draw without pushing them into these boundaries where they're paying more money 
for the same amount of coverage that they have. But if you're working with an advisor, if you're working with a planner, you're going to want to get with them and talk about how these changes affect you specifically. Because like anything else, if there's one thing that's constant in Washington, it's the amount of change that's being thrust upon all of us here uh, out, in the, out in the hinterlands. You talked about modeling these scenarios and how it's not always the right move to wait. It's not always the right move to push these distributions down the road. I mean, we think about not paying taxes in every current year at least we do in my house, it seems, individually, right? You, you don't, right. we want to minimize our taxes as much as we possibly can. But the downside to doing that is that you could wind up with a, a really hefty tax bill at some point in the future. Right. And, and to be fair, I mean, we're talking about a fairly limited amount of time right now. But for younger people who are going to be in a situation where they may be able to wait until age 75 to start these required minimum distributions, you have to realize it's a math problem, right? It's a division problem. If you have a larger number in the numerator Mm -hmm. and a smaller number in the denominator, you're going to get a bigger number at the end. Well, that's what this is. If you're waiting and waiting and waiting and you have a larger number, you know, eventually for that first required minimum distribution and your life expectancy is smaller, right? That division that divisor on the bottom, what happens when you start pulling money out is that you're going to be potentially facing a higher tax bill. So, you know, just like anything else, just because you can wait doesn't mean that you should wait. And so for people in different age cohorts, we're talking about different things as we look at their specific cash flow plans right now as a, you know, as a result of what these Secure 2.0 Act changes are. If you're charitably inclined, there is a workaround. Um, it's called a qualified charitable distribution. Can you explain what it is? Yeah, I love these. Um, so what they are, um, the IRS, remember, the IRS doesn't necessarily care what you do with the money. They just care that you take the money out. Well, there's these things called qualified charitable distributions. And you basically are able to send money directly from your IRA to a qualified charitable institution. There's a threshold, right? If you've got a bajillion dollars in your IRA, there's a limit, right? $100,000. But the Secure 2.0 Act has changed some of this. So what 2.0 has done is basically you can continue to make these qualified charitable distributions. These are not taxable events, by the way. So remember, the IRS just makes you do it but if these go to a qualified charitable entity, you personally are not taxed on the amount and the charity receives the full amount. Well, what's cool about 2.0 is that Congress has kind of added this one little nuance in. And if you are 70 and a half or older, you can use part of your qualified charitable distribution as a one-time gift up to 50 grand to a charitable remainder unit trust, a charitable remainder annuity trust, or a charitable gift annuity. 
Now Andy, that you sounds just, like a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just you just gave us a whole bunch of vocabulary terms. Right. And look, the fact that we can do this with fifty thousand dollars sounds to me that this is really worth digging into from the perspective of our estate plan. You were talking about. QCDs. QCDs are qualified charitable distributions. And this wrinkle in the law that that allows people 70 and a half and older to make a one-time gift of up to $50,000 to a charitable remainder unit trust, annuity trust, or gift annuity. Right. Explain what these things are. All right. So these are kind of estate planning um, options. So say you have a large estate and you want to give a million bucks to charity. You can give money to charities, but then you can get something back in return. So with these QCDs or with the QCD change here with 2.0, what Congress is basically letting you do is you can take up to 50 grand and move it into this other entity, either a charitable remainder unit trust a charitable remainder annuity trust, or a charitable gift annuity. Now, they're different, right? So the charitable remainder unit trust, it's a trust that generates an income stream. You can, it, it can generate an income stream to you, to somebody else. You can't do it for more than 20 years or the life of the non-charitable beneficiary. What happens, though, you get this income stream, and then when you die or this other person dies, the charity receives the remainder of the donated asset. The CRUT, or the, this remainder unit trust, it distributes a fixed percentage over that period of time. Now, the annuity trust, it's the same thing, but it distributes a fixed annuity amount each year over the life of either you or this other person. And again, when you die, then the charity that you've earmarked gets the money. Now, that's different. There's that third one called a gift annuity. This is a direct contract between you and the charity. And the income stream depends on different things like your age, the time of the gift. But with all of these, the idea is you can take up to 50 grand, earmark it for a charity, and then you get something in return. So what do you do with the income? You could, you know, basically use that payment to pay insurance premiums on this 10-year, 15-year, 20-year term policy that when you die then your beneficiaries get some money. So here's this opportunity, right? For the charity get to get some money when you pass, your beneficiaries or your heirs to get some money when you pass, and then you can get something here in the, in the interim. So this is kind of a, it's a pretty big thing that, you know, not a lot of people are, are aware of or able to take advantage of because they just, you know, they're not working with a planner or an accountant or an attorney to be able to make sense of all of this, but it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, and I'm sure the charities are, are going to be all over it as they They're should be. They're licking their lips. Right? They're as licking their they lips. they should be. But I got to say, this is not one of those things. And I want to be very clear about this. This is not one of those things that you can walk into the bank on the corner and buy. This is no. This is complicated. Really good complicated, but complicated. It is. This is a team effort. So you're going to want to talk with your planner, your accountant, your estate attorney. There's a lot of people who want to be who you need to have at the table for this. So if you think that you are are you know a good candidate for this, you're going to want to talk with your planner. 
You're going to want to talk with your accountants, your attorney. They're all going to want to talk together because this is, you know, this is a, a pretty intensive planning opportunity here that you can take advantage of. Yeah, I'm going to talk to my mom about this because I actually think this could be a really good opportunity for her. Okay, let's let's move on, Andy. There are changes that go into effect, not in 2023, but in 2024. So 2024 is bringing some big changes to workplace accounts. One thing that it's going to allow is for employers to actually automatically enroll employees so that they can set aside up to in separate emergency savings accounts alongside their retirement accounts. This is really good news for people who don't have an emergency fund. Um, There are also student loan repayment provisions, so employers would be allowed to make contributions to an employee's retirement plan that matches the employee's student loan repayment. So if you are involved in paying down your student loans to the extent that you actually can't make a retirement plan contribution, those matching dollars can go into your retirement plan, which is which is fantastic. And then again, Andy, there are some big changes as far as RMDs are concerned. There are. So it used to be that everything was pre-tax, right? You earn money and then you can take a chunk of that money and defer taxes, um, you know, pre-tax into this 401k or 403b, et cetera. Well, a couple of years ago, they offered these post-tax or Roth 401k opportunities where you're already taxed on the money. You put it into the Roth 401k, it grows tax deferred, and then, you know, you can take out money you know, uh, tax-free over a period of time if you leave it in there for five years, all this other stuff. Well, here's the thing that's really different in 2.0. Used to be that if you had a Roth 401k and you were of required minimum distribution age, you had to take required minimum distributions from a Roth 401k. Now, you weren't taxed on it, right? But the, you know, the IRS made you take money out. What Secure 2.0 has done, it has started to align and make more similar the Roth 401k to the Roth IRAs. Now, the Roth IRAs, you never had to take required minimum distributions during your lifetime. So from a planning perspective, you know, when we talk with people, we look at pre-tax and post-tax 401ks. So, uh, you know, pre-tax 401k, Roth 401k, we look at IRAs, Roth IRAs, brokerage accounts, all of the different pieces together. So with this one change, you need to have a really good sense of what you're going to tap into and when and how in order to create this retirement income stream, this retirement paycheck for you. So, you know, if you have that Roth 401k and if you are of required minimum distribution age, you need to know that things are changing and you need to make sure that your planner is covering this with you because it will have the potential to change what you do with your retirement income stream. So back it up for somebody who is still in their contribution years, right? Does this change the approach to which type of account you want to put money into when you're making your contributions? Maybe. So one of the things that I do is, you know, there's different Roth versus um, pre-tax calculators or different ideas and planning concepts that we'll use so that when we're looking and talking with a a person about his or her retirement plan, you know, the idea is, you know, save as much as you can for as long as you can. 
Well, once you have that number, then it's a matter of where do you put it, right? How much do you add mm-hmm. to emergency savings? How much do you add, you know, to your 401ks? Are you, are, do you qualify, you know, for a Roth IRA? Well, with this change, because it changes something on the back end with, or has the potential to change something on the back end with your, with your income plan, yes, we are looking about how to better manage those contributions into the workplace plan. Does it make sense to focus on pre-tax? Does it make sense to bring in more and more Roth 401k contributions? Does it make sense to kind of move the needle even further over to the Roth 401k? Because now there are no RMD provisions or requirements in that kind of planning uh, towards the end of of retirement. These are the things that you need to be talking about with your planner because of what changed in 2.0. There are some people who say, if you can't afford to pay the taxes now, you should pay the taxes now. And also who look out into the future and prognosticate, one of my favorite words, that taxes are just going up, that the government has a lot of debt on its balance sheet and taxes in the future are going up. So if you can pay them now, you should pay them now. What do you think about that? This is why it's so important to work with somebody because it's not just modeling how much you save. It's modeling how you're going to be spending the money that you have saved. It's how you're going to be modeling taxes. It's how you have to look at and consider tax efficiency because, you know, that that is a huge part of the overall income planning process. So if you're doing this on your own, if you're a DIYer and you just think, oh, I'm just going to save money into my pre-tax and my post-tax and I'll just figure it out down the road, you have to understand how spending, taxes, and tax efficiency are going to affect or have the potential to affect what your retirement income stream is going to be down the road. Because at some point, you could be too far on where you don't have the flexibility to make those changes. You want to look at scenarios now. You want to look at different models and different options now so that you, you take the savings that you already know and how that is going to affect what your income stream is down the road. Such an important point. We spend so much time talking about accumulate, 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 and not nearly enough talking about the decumulation process and how nuanced and complicated that can be. So you're right. Models, scenarios, it all matters. I feel like where this Secure 2.0 Act is concerned, I should be one of those television hosts who says, but wait, there's more. There is more. And we are going to dig into it when we come back. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner, Andy Smith. You are listening to Everyday Wealth. Stay with us. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second-guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. 
In 2019, the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act, also known as the SECURE Act, was passed and began the process of helping Americans save more for retirement. Well, this past December, SECURE 2.0 was passed in the Congressional Appropriations Bill, and this newer version, as we've been talking about, builds on earlier legislation, offers people potential opportunities to help you save more for retirement and wait longer to take distributions, possibly even utilize some tax smart strategies. Hey, everybody, I'm Jean Chatsky. I have been talking with Edelman Financial Engines wealth planner Andy Smith. If you missed the earlier part of this conversation, just a reminder you can always go back and pick it up on our podcast. We've covered a number of strategies that can help you save some money, give some more money to charity, all really great stuff. So Andy, before the break, we were discussing changes that go into effect this year, 2023, and next year, 2024. Let's talk about what happens after that. Um, And let's start with the fact that we may be able to put more money into our retirement accounts in the form of catch-up contributions. So here's the deal. In your employer-sponsored plans, you have these limits that you can put, you know, certain amounts of money into the plan. And that's for everybody, right? Well, Mm -hmm. used to be if you were 50 or older, you had the potential to make these things called catch-up contributions, And it basically was um, an additional allowance for savings that you could sock away into the retirement plan. So that is still there. But for 2023, if you're 50 or older, you can put an additional 7,500 bucks on top of the 22,500 into the retirement plan. So Let me just stop you there for just a second. That 22,500, that's a big jump from the year before. That's correct. So that's gone up, right? From the everybody makes the can make the the same maximum contributions. Well, now you have this additional catch-up contribution, but starting in 2025, the new rule, the Secure 2.0 actually bumps up the limit for people aged 60 to 63 to $10,000, an additional $10,000 or 50% more than whatever the regular catch-up amount is that year, whichever is greater, okay? Now, there's some nuance, right? If you earn a certain amount of money or below, if you earn 145000 or below, it can keep going into the pre-tax you know, accounts, just like all your other uh, employer-sponsored contributions. If you earn over that, it's going to go into an after-tax piece. But so what, right? I mean, so what with an asterisk? But the idea is you can sock away money now during this this period. It's a trophy dash for you. I tell people all the time, you've been saving as much as you can for as long as you can. But, you know, into your 50s, if the kids are out of the house, debt is almost paid off. You have this, you know, incredible opportunity to be socking away money. Well, now Secure 2.0 is basically saying, hey, guess what? You can put even more into these retirement plans at work, which is just a tremendous opportunity for people to be taken advantage of. So you called it a trophy dash. I think people who've been listening to this show for a long time know that I am a big saver, right? This is this is the kind of thing that gets me very, very excited. But it is locking up 
money, right? It's it's locking up money. It's reducing flexibility. It's reducing liquidity. Is there a sweet spot for these annual totals? Is there a percentage that we should be aiming for? Or is there an amount of money that we should make sure that we're not locking up? I think it goes back to that concept, you know, that this is a one-size-fits-none t-shirt, right? You could be the same age as 10 people on your block, and you could each have $250,000, $500,000, you could have a bajillion dollars in you know, your, your retirement savings and your investments. But what each of you need to be thinking about and doing could be entirely different, right? If you're cash rich, well, guess what? You probably need to be socking away some money to be able to help inflation proof your, your long-term retirement income stream. If you're, you know, if you're house rich or if you're investment rich, you have to be putting different things in different places. I think what I always like people to remember is, and I, I just kind of beat it into the ground, save as much as you can for as long as you can. Once you have trained yourself to be able to generate this certain amount of money, year by year, the, the source or the destination for those dollars could change. There could be some years in your planning, in your accumulation stage, where you're trying to sock away money into emergency savings, trying to get that six to 12 months, sometimes even 24 months worth of emergency expenses on hand. Sometimes you're close to paying off student debt or you're close to paying off the home and you focus on that. Sometimes you realize, oh my gosh, longevity is an issue. I could live into my you know, mid nineties. I need to have money there that can help preserve my purchasing power. So yes, there, there could be a sweet spot, but I think that sweet spot changes year over year. I think that sweet spot changes person to person. That's why it's so important to work with somebody who can look at different scenarios, look at different models and say, look, right now, this is probably what you need to be doing for the next 12 months. When we talk in six months or 12 months or whenever we talk again, we can reestablish what that go forward plan is for you for that next period of time. But the idea is with Secure 2.0, you can sock money into your retirement savings. It doesn't mean forget about cash. It doesn't mean forget about student loans or, or mortgages or anything else. It's just one more kind of arrow in your quiver here as you're looking at different models for your cash flow plan. You brought up student loans, which actually takes me over to the changes that have happened with 529 plans. And yep. I got to say, so my, my kids are through college. Um, both are saying they are not planning on going to grad school at this point. I've got money in 529s. I've got leftover money in 529s. This is going to allow me to do something with that money. It does. It, well, it allows you to do something potentially a little different with the money. Used to be that you, know, you could keep changing the beneficiary on a 529 to any allowable family member. Right, so if Junior didn't use the money, you could you know put it to a sister. You could put it to you know another qualified family member. So the option that you have now basically is that whoever the beneficiary is on the five twenty nine, you can move up to a, an aggregate lifetime limit of thirty five thousand into a Roth IRA for that named beneficiary. So again, whoever the beneficiary is named on that five twenty nine you can move money over to a Roth IRA in that beneficiary's name. 
The big piece to remember on that is work with your planner, work with your accountant to make sure that everything kind of jives and and is in line so that you're not moving money inappropriately um, here from an account that you've, you know, diligently saved into for a period of time. So, you know, 2.0 gives you another option here for unused 529 assets. You could have always gotten them out if you didn't use them for college or qualified expenses, you had to pay a penalty. So there's there's some nuance here with what you can do for for longer-term retirement savings. We are going to bring in Dr. Wei Hu, Vice President of Financial Research at Edelman Financial Engines, to talk about some additional changes. When the first SECURE Act was passed in 2019, it opened the door for annuities to be used within work based retirement plans. This law takes it a little bit further. Weihu, welcome to the show. Always great to have you here. Great to be back here again, Jean. Good to see you. So talk to me a little bit about QLAX. Andy's been defining terms for us all show. He's been bringing us a nice vocabulary lesson. We are happy for that. QLAC, Q-L-A-C is one we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, we love our acronyms, don't we? So QLAC uh, stands for Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract. And uh, what it is, is it's a specific kind of annuity that you can buy using a 401k or IRA money. And so that's where the qualified comes from. It's tax qualified. Uh, Longevity annuity is basically a specific type of annuity where um, you know, you may be familiar with uh, annuities where you you pay a premium uh, and then you can start taking income right away up until as long as you live. And a longevity annuity, in contrast, it actually defers those payments so that you can pay, let's say, at 65 and you can elect not to get any payments until you're 80 or 85. And so that's the deferred part of the of the annuity contract. Are there specific regulations or laws as far as when you can buy this annuity, how much you can put into it, and when you can actually turn the income stream on? Yeah. So um, in in terms of limits, so the reason there are limits is that, um, you know, with 401ks and IRAs, you need to take RMDs normally, required minimum distributions. They start uh, now after Secure 2.0, they start at age 73. Now, with this kind of deferred annuity, um, there was this concern about, well, how does, how does something like that meet the RMD requirement? And so what the Treasury did was it actually carved out a specific uh, room for people to invest part of their uh, 401ks or IRAs into these deferred annuities and not run afoul of the RMD requirements. But it gave a limit on that. And initially, the limit was uh, you could use no more than 25% of your tax deferred monies. And there was a dollar limit that was initially 135,000. It rose after inflation to uh, 145,000 last year. Now with Secure 2.0, that changed. So they removed that percentage limit. So you can use all of your retirement accounts to do this, but there is still a dollar limit. And that dollar limit is $200,000 into QLACs. 
can you talk a little bit and then Andy, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm hogging this conversation. I'm going to let you jump in, but can you just talk sure. a little bit about the purpose of this? I mean, I know that, that one of the biggest fears about retirement specifically for women is we're going to outlive our money, right? These instruments, because you don't turn on the money until you're 80 or 85 and then it lasts for life, seem to address those fears. But I'm sure there's a downside, too. Yeah. So the the way this works is, um, you know, as you said, the, the risk of living a very long time is sort of a new risk that people face once they're uh, in their later years or in retirement. So when you're in your 30s, you don't really think about this kind of risk. So uh, when you're saving in 401ks, we don't really talk about it that much. But, uh, you know, once you're once you're uh, in retirement, this this really is one of the bigger risks you have to face. And so, for example, if you take a 55-year-old couple, the chance that at least one of them reaches age 100 is higher than you might think. It's about 30% chance that w- either husband or wife will reach age 100. And so that's where uh, longevity annuities can come in. And it's a question of, well, if you're going to buy some more guaranteed income, what kind of annuity is the most effective? And uh, I think the industry has gone beyond uh, thinking about just providing immediate annuities where you you plop down some money at age 65 and then you start getting monthly income from then on. And the point of view here is that by deferring payments until age 80 or 85, what you do is you actually get higher payments when those payments start. And the idea here is why would you want to do that, uh, not you know give up that income from 65 to 85 or, or 65 to 80, is that it's sort of a more pure form of ensuring the biggest risk, which is living a very long time. Uh, So in contrast with uh, an immediate annuity, what an immediate annuity does is it pays you money at 66, 67, 68, 69, all the way out to 100 or even 120, which is possible. And there's very little likelihood of living to age 120, but the insurance company provides some, some possibility for that. And, what it does is at age 66, there is very, very little chance that a typical 66-year-old isn't going to make it to that year. So it's mostly like buying a bond for that age 66 payment. And so you're not getting that much insurance value out of that immediate annuity. In contrast, for those longevity annuities, uh, they're paying out, let's say, starting at age 85. And there's, let's say, close to a 50% chance that you'll survive to age 85. And so that is much more insurance versus just interest payments uh, or return of principal to you. And so if you have kind of a limited ability to buy annuities, a set dollar amount, then focus on getting the most insurance value out of that. So that's the kind of the, the rationale behind these longevity annuities. Way talk about the actual, um, you know, possible implementation of a QLAC in a person's longer-term retirement plan. How would someone want to start thinking about using this? How would they consider using the QLAC alongside whatever, you know, whatever else is in their kind of investment portfolio? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, um, it, so you you should think of uh, QLAX not as an investment vehicle uh, because that can lead to uh, sort of some some very strange thinking about insurance, which is that you might think, well, you know, if if I don't live till eighty five when the payments begin, I'm going to feel like it was a bad choice, but. We shouldn't think about insurance that way. Like when you buy fire insurance for your house, you don't say, I really want my house to burn down so I get some insurance money back, right? You think about, uh, you know, insuring against a catastrophic risk. And so you don't really want that catastrophic risk to show up. You know, uh, we don't want to live to age 120 and not have any money left. Uh, So that's what the insurance is designed to protect against. In terms of how it works with the rest of your financial plan, you know, the, the standard QLAC, it, you can think of it as a little bit like a fixed income replacement. So it's a, it's a low risk, you know, set of assets underlying or backing up the insurance claim. And so you can think of it as not replacing your stock portfolio, but really kind of taking the place of what you might invest in bonds uh, predominantly. I would imagine that the QLAC figures pretty intensively into that required minimum distribution conversation that we had earlier in the show. Because if you if you know that you're going to be pulling a certain amount of money out of your retirement vehicles, you could pull more knowing that this would come along and um, and replace some of those fixed income expenses down the road. It's just another reminder that it's all personal, right? I mean, it, every situation is different. Right. There really is no kind of generic rule that says you should take 10% or 20% and put it in any kind of annuity, whether it's an immediate annuity or one of these QLACs. Uh, you really need uh, to look at the, the the circumstances and what the anxieties of that household are and what their capacity for dealing with one or both of those members living longer than expected. We are just about out of time. Um, Wei, thank you for that. It is, Andy, it's complicated, right? And it is just one of those situations, like so many of the things that we've discussed today, that you have to talk about, not just with your wealth planner, but with your tax professional and your estate planning attorney. I imagine these are the conversations that are going on in your office right now. They, they really are. And, and it just kind of lends credence to this idea that, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that, you, you could potentially use? Does it make sense for your particular situation? I don't know yet, right? But you need to talk with somebody that you trust and understand how it, you know, all of these different tools could possibly be used to get you all the way to and through retirement. But this Secure, you know, Secure Act 2.0 has given you a lot more tools and put a lot more arrows in your quiver here that you need to be aware of. We are now officially out of time. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Wei, for being here today, both of you. My pleasure. If you have a question or a topic that you would like us to discuss, we would love to talk to you on the air. So visit us at everydaywealth.com to submit your question. And together with an EFE Wealth Planner, we'll talk through potential solutions that would be personal to you. And 
If you missed an episode, be sure to check out our past podcasts. Starting mid-February, Everyday Wealth will be transitioning to a podcast-only format and will no longer be a weekly radio show. While our format may change, our mission has not. We are dedicated to helping people grow and protect their wealth and will continue to sit at the intersection of life and money, and focus on the moments that matter most for your personal economy. We'll continue to invite experts and authors to the conversation for fresh perspectives, as well as answer your questions, because as we've been saying, we know finance is very personal. So be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. And if you're new to the world of podcasting, just visit everydaywealth.com. All of our episodes are available there as well. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.